from the Heidelberg Catechism. We read together uh, Lord's Day 6. Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, Later he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the 1850s, there was a Hungarian doctor, Ignaz Semmelweis, who served on a maternity ward. He discovered that many more children died in childbirth in one ward of the hospital than another. The ward staffed by male doctors and interns had five times the death rate of the ward staffed by female midwives. In time, he figured out that the main difference between the doctors and the midwives was that the doctors performed autopsies on dead bodies, while the midwives did not. They were carrying infection from the dead bodies to the women giving birth and to their children. Once doctors began washing their hands and instruments with chlorine, the death rate among children fell dramatically. In time, this discovery revolutionized medicine. Today, the operating room of the hospital is a sacred place. The air is filtered pure and clean. The walls and floors are scrubbed. The instruments are sterilized. There's a sign hanging over the door. Unauthorized people keep out. The only people allowed in, a in an operating room are doctors and select hospital personnel. But they too must be scrubbed and sterilized, wearing disposable gospel gowns with protective masks. You see, for the hospital room to fulfill the function for which it was made, it must be clear of contamination. Even the smallest germs can infect the person who's there for help. The, oper the operating room is a special place. It's set apart for the most delicate of duties, it's there for the saving of human life. Well, the Holy of Holies was a similar kind of place. It was the most sacred place on earth. It was off limits to everyone except the high priest. Even he could only enter it once a year on the Day of Atonement. 
There was a large curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. But when the Lord Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. That curtain had warned, keep out. But the tearing of the curtain sent another message. Through it, God sent the message, come in. Since the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all contamination, we're now free to enter the presence of God. In fact, we can do so with confidence. Jesus Christ is the door through which we may enter into communion with God. Lord's Day 6 teaches us how Christ came as mediator of the new covenant and how it's through him that we have access to our Father in heaven. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Jesus Christ is our mediator through whom we can come to God. We'll consider the curtain of separation caused by sin, the mediation of Christ our high priest, and the access we now have to God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God. There were no barriers restricting their access to God. There was nothing negative in their relationship with the Creator. God walked with man. They conversed face to face. But then man chose to walk apart from God. Adam and Eve didn't listen to the one who had given them life and trust in him for the wisdom and knowledge they needed. Instead, they rebelled against his rule by choosing to listen to the voice of the serpent. The fellowship man had enjoyed with God was destroyed. And thus began the curtain of separation between God and man. The curtain being a symbol of the sin that separates mankind from the presence of God. Because man was sinful, because he was corrupt, he could no longer live in the presence of God. For the Lord our God is holy, holy, holy. Unholy man could not come near to our holy God. It's as Isaiah says in uh, chapter 59, verse 2, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. 2 Corinthians 6.14 teaches that righteousness can have nothing to do with wickedness. Light cannot have communion with darkness. In paradise, this was symbolized by how God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.24 says that after God drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. It's important to pay some attention to these cherubim. Cherubim are high-ranking angels, part of the angelic host dedicated to the service of God. In the Bible, God is often said to dwell among the cherubim. They surround his heavenly throne. In paradise, the cherubim formed a curtain of separation that guarded the way into God's presence that prevented man from eating of the tree of life. When God delivered his people from Egypt, he was willing to come and to live among them. 
Yet sinful man could not come into God's holy presence. That's why the Lord determined to dwell in the tabernacle. The tabernacle had three divisions. There was the outer court where the people brought their sacrifices, where they worshipped God. There was the holy place where only the priests were allowed to access, to minister to the Lord. And finally, there was the most holy place, sometimes called the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. The structure of the tabernacle, with its three divisions, was not something thought up by the children of Israel. In Exodus 25, verse 40, Moses received specific instructions from God on Mount Horeb about exactly how the tabernacle was to be built. The Lord was the architect of the tabernacle and later of the temple. He made the plans for its layout. He gave detailed instructions about the altars, the utensils, the vessels to be used in it. The construction of the tabernacle and the way it was set up. They all pointed forward to the coming of the Christ. It's important to note that the people were only allowed to enter the outer court, The main altar on which the various sacrifices were presented was located there. The Lord dwelt in the Holy of Holies. No one was allowed to come into his presence except the high priest once each year. Between the outer court and the Holy of Holies was a holy place. It's where the priests performed their ministry each day again. And so the priests served as mediators between the Lord and his people. A mediator is a go-between. His task is to bring together two parties that are separated. The priests offered daily sacrifices in the outer court to make atonement for the people's sins. They poured incense, a sweet-smelling perfume, on the incense altar located up against the curtain that led to the Holy of Holies. Incense was offered there each day again. It was a symbol of the prayers of God's people being sent to the mercy seat. Only the high priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement. He did not go there to enjoy fellowship with God. He entered in fear of his life, with the blood of bulls and goats presented to atone for the sins of Israel. It's through the offering of these sacrifices that the priest could approach the Lord who dwelt among the cherubim in the Holy of Holies. Because the Lord was willing to accept their mediation, they could go back to the people and they could pronounce the Lord's blessing on them. On behalf of the Lord, the priest would bless the people with the words, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Because God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies, a curtain of separation was hung between this area and the outer two divisions of the temple. The curtain's purpose was to serve as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. In Exodus 26, verse 31, the Lord commanded Moses 
Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skillful craftsman. Again, we see the cherubim, God's angelic host, guarding the way to the presence of God. Eventually, the tabernacle was replaced with a temple. It, too, had an outer court and a holy place and the holy of holies. Here again, the curtain of separation was hung up to shield the presence of God from mankind. 1 Kings 6 tells us Solomon constructed two cherubim that stood as guardians on either side of the ark in the Holy of Holies. He carved the figures of cherubim into the walls of the inner and outer sanctuaries. 2 Chronicles 3.14 tells us Solomon made the curtain of blue, purple, and crimson yarn and fine linen with cherubim woven into it. This temple curtain was a thick, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide curtain. Its purpose was to prevent men and women from coming into God's presence. The curtain showed man that while it was hanging, the way to God was barred because of sin. It shut out and kept everyone from further approach. The the curtain hung there as if to say, thus far and no further. No unauthorized entry allowed. Just like family members are not allowed into an operating room because of fear of contamination. So God's people were not allowed into the presence of the Lord Most High. While in His grace God dwelt among His people, He still maintained separation from them. The reason is is that God in His righteousness and holiness could not be stained with our sinfulness. It's our sins that form the barrier between God and us. Beloved, the barrier symbolized in the Old Covenant by that curtain can still exist today. Our sins can and often do get in the way of communion between us and the Lord. Just think of the results of David committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah. David writes about the effects that his sin had on his relationship with God in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as by the heat of summer. It's not until David confessed his sins before the Lord that he found relief from his suffering. The Bible makes plain that our sins can and do create a barrier between God and us. We deserve to have God punish us for our sins. Yet our God is merciful and gracious. He provides a way for us to escape God's punishment and again be received into favor. The sacrificial system of the Old Covenant pointed for the need for a once-for-all payment to be made to atone for our sins. We needed a mediator to make that payment for us. 
yet not just any mediator will do. God did not allow Moses to offer his life for the sake of his people Israel. God was not satisfied with the priestly service of the tribe of Levi. None of the men who served God's people in the Old Covenant could truly pay for man's sins. They were all sinners themselves. Our Lord's Day teaches us that our mediator must be a true and righteous man, and yet at the same time, true God. That kind of mediator is not readily available. God provided the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, to serve as the one who could restore us in our relationship with him again. In the first point, we've seen the curtain of separation caused by sin. In our second point, we'll consider the mediation of Christ, our high priest, Jesus Christ is the only one who's qualified to serve as our mediator. In him we see the wonderful counsel and plan of God coming to fulfillment. From before the foundation of the world, God ordained that his son would serve as our redeemer. God appointed him as our mediator and deliverer. He qualified Jesus for this task by allowing him to take on human flesh so he could be a true and righteous man as well as true God. For Christ to serve as our mediator, he had to be a true man. The reason is that only a human being could pay for man's sins. Our God is a fair God. He will not punish another creature for the sins we have committed. It was man who originally sinned in paradise. We are the ones who daily transgress God's holy commands and who incur his anger against our sins. Thus Jesus had to be a man to pay for our sins. Now up front, this does not appear to be a difficult requirement to fulfill. The world's full of people. Perhaps one of them could step up and offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But there was a snag. For someone to pay for our sins, he would have to be righteous and holy himself. Anyone who himself is defiled by sin cannot pay for his own sins, never mind the sins of the world. And so we see how All those conceived and born in sin cannot serve as our mediator. It's only God's Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who lived as a true and righteous man. At the same time, Christ was also true God. Our catechism makes it plain that this is also one of the qualifications for our mediator, The only way for the distance between God and us to be bridged was for the mediator to make payment for our sins. To do that, he needed to be true God, to be able to bear God's wrath against our sins. He had to suffer hellish agony, to be completely forsaken by God, to pay the price to redeem us. 
The author of Hebrews writes much about how Jesus Christ came to serve as our high priest. In the first verses of Hebrews 8, he makes it clear how Christ served as our mediator in fulfillment of the Old Testament priesthood. He says, we do, not, he says, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. By ascending into heaven, Jesus entered not the earthly, but the heavenly dwelling place of God. When he went up, he did so as our high priest. Just as in the old covenant, the priests presented sacrifices to make atonement for our sins, so Christ also had to have something to offer to pay for our sins. We know what that was and the consequences it had. Christ offered up his body and blood on the cross. Through this great sacrifice, he has opened the way for us to come to God. This was symbolized for us at the time of Christ's death. At the precise moment when Christ committed his spirit into the hands of his Father, something very important happened in the temple in Jerusalem. Matthew tells us, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. Clearly, the curtain was split by an invisible hand. God himself tore the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the holy place. It's no coincidence that the curtain was torn at the precise moment when Christ died. Keep in mind that the purpose of the curtain was to keep sinful man from approaching God's presence. Remember that Christ died in our place as our substitute to pay for our sins. The tearing of the curtain shows God is satisfied with the sacrifice of his son for our sins. God reached down and he tore the temple curtain to show that we now have full and free entrance into his presence through the death of his son. Hebrews 8 makes it clear that the service of the Old Testament priests was but a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. The Lord told Moses, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Thus, the tabernacle and temple were but copies and shadows of a heavenly reality. All of this has been fulfilled in Christ. Please remember, beloved, that the, temple and, that the tabernacle and temple were made up of three parts. An outer court where the people could come, the holy of holies where the Lord dwelt, and the holy place between them where the priests performed their service. If we want to see how Christ fulfilled the service of these priests, we need to understand how Christ has upended the tabernacle. The earthly tabernacle was a building built on one level, three sections next to each other. But Christ has set this horizontal tabernacle on its end. 
What we need to do is picture the horizontal tabernacle in a vertical way. We are still dwelling in the outer court that is here on this earth. And God dwells in the Holy of Holies. That's the heavenly sanctuary, the mercy seat. Formerly in the Holy of Holies is the heavenly throne. The horizontal tabernacle has been set up, has been set on its end. It's been accomplished by Jesus Christ, high priest of the new covenant. When Christ died, God's hand tore the curtain apart. There are no longer three parts to the tabernacle divided by heavy curtains. There is no longer any need for altars. We don't need priests to mediate for us day after day for us to have access to God. The whole priestly service has been fulfilled in Christ. The tearing of the curtain in the temple was a sign of our unfettered access to God. It is through the mediation of Christ our High Priest that we can now come to God. We deal with this in our final point, and we consider the access we now have to God. The author of Hebrews explains how Christ has opened the way into the Holy of Holies. In Hebrews 9, verse 12, he says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, heaven, once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So the author of Hebrews explains that Christ opened the way for us into the presence of God. Christ didn't go into the earthly temple in Jerusalem, but into a heavenly temple not made with hands. So we see, beloved, the rich gospel message presented to us in the tearing of the curtain temple, of the temple curtain. That curtain had warned, keep out. But the tearing of the curtain sent another message. Through it, God sent the message, Come in. Through this symbolism, God indicates that Christ has opened the way for us to come into his presence. Since the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all our sins, we're now free to enter the presence of God. We see that the death of Christ has wondrous consequences for us. Jesus Christ is the door through which we may enter into communion with God. Our great high priest has opened a way into God's presence that remains open forever. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the door. There is no other door into God's presence. That door stands wide open for those who come in by faith through the blood of Christ. There's no other way except the way of his blood. All roads do not lead to heaven. All roads lead to hell except the narrow way of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
The author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, His point is we may draw near to God with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary. Because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, we may now boldly approach God in worship and prayer. In Hebrews 4, we're encouraged to draw near to God in prayer. For we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who is tempted just as we are. The author of Hebrews says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Through Christ, God will certainly hear, and he will answer our prayers. Our worship has also been utterly transformed from how God's people worshipped in the Old Covenant. They needed to bring sacrifices, which were offered by the priests. The priests needed to mediate for them so that God would hear their prayers and bless them. Today, in worship, we come together in the presence of God. We don't need an earthly mediator to open the way to God for us. Our worship involves the Lord speaking to us in the greeting, the law, the Bible reading, the sermon, and the blessing. And in worship, we respond through singing, through prayers, through our confession of faith, and the offering of our gifts for the needy. But we're allowed to enjoy Direct communion with God. Yes, beloved, the way to God has been opened for us by the blood of Christ. A life with God is possible for us because of his once-for-all sacrifice offered on the cross. The separation between God and us caused by our sins has been taken away. By faith, we now once again be united with him. The Holy Spirit is the life giver who allows us to share in Christ and all his benefits. One of the main benefits is that we're now free to live in communion with our God. God created us to live in perfect harmony with him, to know him and be known by him, to love him and be loved by him, to walk with him and talk with him, just as Adam and Eve did in paradise. Through the blood and spirit of Christ, we today may already walk and talk with God, even though we're living in a sinful world, where Christ's death has broken down the wall of separation between God and us. And beloved, we can look forward to an even more glorious future, to a time when sin and all its effects are completely removed. 
to a time when we may dwell with God in perfect harmony on new heavens and a new earth. Imagine having free access to walk and talk with God. What a privilege it will be to see him face to face. How wonderful it'll be to have our natural corruption washed away. To know God and be known by him without the stain of sin. These are the blessings God has promised to those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Blessings so great, we cannot even imagine them. Therefore, let us praise Jesus Christ, our mediator, who has given us access to God. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel by rising and singing together. Psalm 84, stanzas 1, 4, and 5.